Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Cass. Hello. And this is Anime is for Jerks. And this month, we are discussing Mononoke, uh, directed by Kenji Nakamura, and uh, produced by Toei Animation. Uh, Alex, did you like the show? So we've, we've talked a lot recently about uh, the so-called pure vibes performance. I was about to say the exact fucking thing. <laughs> the exact same fucking thing. So, uh, a, friend, a friend of the show, CT, coined that phrase in reference to uh, Michael Shannon's performance as Kurtz on the Park Chan-wook adaptation of Little Drummer Girl. Good book. The first half of the TV show is good. The second half is very bad. Uh, so, take that into account. Um yeah, this is. But I. Yeah, this this show has vibes. This show is a pure vibes performance. And the vibes, they're they're good. impeccable. The vibes are impeccable. Um, I like. I had a lot. So I, like the thing is, I did not enjoy watching this show at all. And I t- the reason this episode is so late is because it took me a million to- a million billion years to watch it, and it just like watching every episode felt like pulling teeth. But also, I don't think it's bad. And I didn't no, hate yeah. it. I, I also like, I think I liked it. Like I yeah, I, <laughs> and there, like there, there are some of the some of the like um, sub stories I liked quite a bit. Yeah, and I, I would say uh, I I don't only just not think it's bad. I think it's quite good. Um, it, I think in I think in your case, like this this is a show that can like. Ugh, Cannot it can't you can't can't be demanded to be watched like yeah it ha- it has to be something you just kind of let f- it, it's you let, you have to you have to be able to accept the vibes yeah. and not feel pressured to kind of like watch it for a podcast yeah yeah like a big problem was that like I I we call this a pure vibes performance and I don't want one that's not an insult vibes are great uh, and secondly. Uh, I think that the show does have a lot more going on beneath the vibes. It's not actually pure vibes, but right. the there, vibes yes. are so overwhelming. It's so it's very hard to access. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, there's there's some of some of the little stories I think have more depth than others. Yeah. Uh, I just before we started recording, I was rewatching uh, episode seven, which is part of the Nopara Bo um, little plot because what i re- when i first watched it like a week ago it it kind of stuck with me but i wasn't sure if that was because it was like because it was a lot going on or because it was just inscrutable <laughs> <laughs> yeah that one i i have a decent grasp with the plot of all of these except that one i could not i have no idea what happens in episode six yeah. and seven i i was just here for the vibes <laughs> um, so yeah, so let's, I'm let's still talk not about. Quite sure, but yeah, we'll we'll, 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 we'll talk about that. the plot. So the first two episodes, so yeah, so the first two episodes are one story, and then episodes three what through you... five are another story, and then six and seven are another story, and then episodes eight through nine are another story, and then episodes ten through twelve are another story. So the first story is well, f- uh, well first, first, first. Uh, if you missed last year's Halloweeny yes. episode, uh, Ayakashi Samurai Horror Tales, this is. Uh, essentially, a spinoff from the last kind of uh, part of that anthology series, uh, and it's so it's the same. That one had I, there was three different stories in that one. I think each had 
it was three or four. Yeah, there were three episodes, I think. Yeah, and so they're all very different. Yeah, and and the Uh, first two, one of them was based on a traditional Japanese folk tale, and the other one was based on like an early twentieth century Japanese play. And then the yeah, last they one, all had they all had different directors yeah. and and styles, teams, yeah. right? Because because the visual styles are completely yeah, the different. Visual the visual style the, the first one looked like a like Newgrounds meet and fuck game. Uh, <laughs> the visual style of the second one just looked like a bad early 2000s anime. But the visual style of the third one, Bakeneko, which is the one that this is spun off into spun off from, um, was mind blowingly amazing. Um, yeah. In so like uh, what was the. It's, yeah, it's got, it's got this, like, very, like, watercolor palette and this kind of, like, crumpled paper yeah. aesthetic and it's, to the... We were, the over... uh, last episode, we dunked viciously on all of the terrible 3D animation in Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0. Um, we did. And this show, so, so this movie, this movie, this show, uh, came out in 2007 which actually and it came out it was the year after ayakashi samurai horror tales which is what i was was looking up um and uh it's for being as old as it is like this show makes some pretty impressive use of of 3d in a way that softens even my curmudgeonly heart yeah yeah like i remembered when i was watching it it took me back to when I first saw Bakeneko and like the little, the little, he has these little scales that yeah. uh, detect uh, Mononoke. And it's like, it's, it's interesting because it's very obviously 3D, yeah. but it works yeah. in a surprising way. And like mo- usually when, when we talk about the, the, the perils of, of using 3D animation in anime, like the the ones we point to that are examples of kind of good use are usually ones in which it's kind of like very cleanly integrated, and so it's not like obviously oh look that's three D. But here it's it's very clear when the, when they switch to three D and when they aren't. But it because the the visual style style is so well defined overall, it do, it's not jarring yeah. and, and it works uh, in a really cool way. Yeah. Um, on the subject of the visual style, there was a really interesting, right before, actually, this, this post was made a, a longer ago than I thought it was made in uh, July. Um, and this was posted by Andy McClure, who is a Twitter user and also a, <laughs> uh, and also a video game pro- a programmer, but like, she's a Twitter user. Um, and uh, so she says, um, she's posting about this, she says, there are certain kinds of visual, mostly things involving small dots, dithering complex patterns, that the video codex we've adopted everywhere are just plain bad at representing, that any conversation we've culturally decided these types of art will simply not exist. You could have distributed these images in the era of VHS or DVDs, but Twitter can't handle them, YouTube mostly can't handle them, streaming platforms probably can't handle them. If you want to create this art, you just can't. It was decided only some kinds of images will exist. There's a completely amazing anime called Mononoke that is basically inherently incompatible with streaming video platforms and like i don't know what happens to it now um and this is something that i i personally have run headlong into with the visuals of the video games that i make um Uh. which are very incompatible with h.264 compression um interesting so so yeah, so if you if you are listening to this and you don't know anything about video compression, the way that modern video compression works is it 
so there's there's two types of compression. Uh, there's there's intra frame compression, which is what you do on the frame itself, like something like applying like uh, PNG compression to the whole image, to, like losslessly compress it to just make it smaller. Um, you can do a lot better than just storing the color of every single pixel of the image. You can be more clever than that and not lose any data. Or you can decide that you want to lose data and use JPEG. Um, and then what video codecs do is called interframe compression, where they take um, they um, use information about what's in each frame and store the changes from one frame to the next. Um, and uh, if, if the whole scene change at one, changes at once, like if there's a cut to like a dramatically different color or something like that, then they'll add a new keyframe and um, then start storing the changes again. But if it's just a character moving around on the screen, um, they're just storing the changes. But if you have a very complicated pattern, um, like for instance, like this is why YouTube videos of snow or confetti look like shit. Um, because when you have a lot of tiny things that need to be tracked by the algorithm, it doesn't have enough space in the bitrate it's allotted to do that. So instead it just throws away information because it assumes that kind of high frequency information isn't necessary for the image, which is true uh, a lot of the time for footage of like naturalistic scenes that don't have snow or confetti in them. Um, (laughs) But... um, it's, it's not true of, for instance, something like Mononoke, where the entire screen has a lot of repeating patterns on it that move and shift, and the entire screen also has a, like, crumpled paper effect applied to it, which makes it very, like, as characters move and stuff, it's much more difficult for uh, the software to track those changes. Uh, there's a great, I'll link in, in the description, there's a great video by Tom Scott explaining some of this stuff um and and how it applies to uh snow and confetti um so i'll link i'll link that in the description um but yeah so this this show definitely uh is i think the copy the copy that i had was not particularly compressed it was it was pretty uh good to yeah. look at um Same. but it's, i think if you were to watch something like this like on netflix and it would have to stream over an internet connection it would just be a disaster um you know, it would just it would just be a blocky mess, as opposed to uh, us patricians who have downloaded MKV files off of the internet. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, like it, and it's. But yeah, I I, I, I thought that, that was an interesting thing to to note about this this show's oh, visual yeah, style. It, it, that hadn't even yeah occurred to me because yeah, I was I wasn't streaming it. I was yeah, uh, watching a download um, copy, and so. Uh, you know, and the show is is stuff. pretty it's pretty obscure. I don't remember where I first heard about it, but I, I've not heard about it very much. Um, and it's it's like really really excellent, and more people should know about it. But also like the way that people watch anime now is they watch it on Netflix or they watch it on Crunchyroll, and they would just not do the show justice. Um, you know, like teach I, the teens how to talk. Yeah, I mean, I've talked I've talked in previous episodes, and this is only tangentially related, but I've talked in previous episodes about how part of my part of my personal shadow mission with this podcast is to do like stuff on old anime because when i was first getting into anime there were no anime streaming services um and so you just had to learn how to pirate stuff and so everything whether it was currently airing or it had aired 30 years ago was like equally hard to get 
So there was no real like bias towards whatever. Like people, people on forums or in IRC channels that I hung out in would recommend all sorts of stuff from all over the place. Whereas now I talk to people who are like my age or a little bit younger who like anime and all they've seen is like My Hero Academia and Demon Slayer. Like, and like they have no idea that like this, there's like a whole medium here that's gone back like 50 years and like is full of like tons of fascinating stuff that you just can't get on Netflix. Um, yeah, is it like is it, it's absolutely not their fault. No, no, it's, it's absolutely it's not their fault. The, it's it, so little is easily available. Yeah, you know, like it's it's not at all. Um, you know, like I something that I, I don't subscribe to any of those streaming services because I have pretty particular tastes in stuff. Uh, as anybody who's listened to this podcast I have knows, unusual tastes. Uh, and. Um, Whenever I, I just got, I eventually, I used to have, like have Netflix and like use my parents like Netflix and whatever. And like every time I would go to Netflix and be like, I want to watch this. They'd be like, we don't have that. And I'd be like, and, and what they want you to do with those services is to just go into their like sort of recommendations vortex and watch whatever the robot tells you to. Um, yeah. Instead of um, being a, being, being a, an independent free thinker. Uh, <laughs> facts don't tell your feelings. No, um, but in, like if you, um, the algorithm doesn't care about you. The your algorithm feelings. does not give a shit about your feelings or about history. Um, <laughs> so yes. So so this show follows a character who's known as the medicine seller, um, and I think he has a name in the previous one. I don't think so. At least the Wikipedia's. Oh. gives him a name uh oh the Wikipedia does say uh, that his name is uh Kusuri Kusuri Yuri. Yuri. Uh, uh, i don't know yeah i don't know if that is uh quote unquote kick ke- yeah that's, that's interesting that the ayakashi wikipedia page uh, gives him a name and the mononoke wikipedia page describes him as an unnameless character i i mean i feel like it's like he doesn't need a name no it's just a medicine seller so like they probably like they probably made a point of dropping yeah. it from because they didn't know, I think, when they made Ayakashi that yeah. the, 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 uh, that Bakeneko would... Um, get a spinoff. Get a spinoff. And so then they went back and kind of uh, probably rethought a few things. So yeah, so this so it, it takes place in sort of like the end of like the Edo period. Uh, so like in like the late 1700s, um, roughly. Yeah. Um, for the most part, that, that the last the one last takes one takes place, place in like the nineteen twenties. Um, yeah, but uh, but we'll get there. But so yeah, so yeah most yeah. of this takes place in the in the Edo period, um, and the <laughs> I I I made a post on Mastodon the other day about something which was that there's a small joy. One of the primary joys of Wikipedia is finding an article that was clearly written by a single person in a single draft with no editing. Um, and the Mononoke Wikipedia article was clearly written by several people, but it does have this one sentence that is clear that like nobody, nobody looks at this. Nobody cares about this article, which is in like the opening paragraph. It says, um, "It says Mononoke takes place between the end of the Edo period and Meiji era of Japan, with the four class system: samurai being the highest class and merchants, such as the medicine seller himself, being in the lowest class. Only samurai were permitted to carry swords, which is why it comes as a shock to many of the characters that the medicine seller would be carrying a sword. And it's like that's important." <laughs> information but it doesn't belong in the first paragraph of the wikipedia article it's just a person yeah. like it's just a small human connection where you see like a person learned this information and just needed to share it 
<laughs> and didn't it, like did not put any thought into how they were going to share it or anything like that. They just they just needed to put it somewhere. Yeah, it could easily go in the like the first paragraph of the plot yeah. section before the episode summary. Uh, so to the listeners, uh, if you want to be a real friend of the show, you can edit the Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, every time I've opened up the Mononoke Wikipedia article while we've been while I've been watching the show to like look at the plot summary or like read stuff. Uh, I have looked at that sentence and I've just thought like I got it. It's it's like a real thorn in my brain of like I need to edit that. It, it's just driving me nuts. It's been so long since I edited a Wikipedia page. Yeah, I can't. I it's been a really long time. Don't, I can't go back to that like. <laughs> so yes, so the medicine seller he travels around uh, ostensibly selling medicine, but we never see him sell any medicine. Instead, he shows up, uh, and he always shows up at places that are haunted by mononoke, which are. Um, like spirits that like linger in the human world because they have like unfinished business related to like negative negative emotions and stuff like that they're basically ghosts um but they are uh in myriad in in shape and form so uh so the first uh two episodes are part of a story called uh zashiki orashi um which is so the medicine seller gets a room at this like uh ryokan like traditional Japanese in kind of dealy. Um, dealy. And when he arrives, a woman arrives there who uh, like begs for a room because she's pregnant and she's on the run from somebody. Um, and so the, the like old lady who runs the inn is like, fine, you can stay in our creepy upstairs room that we don't let anybody stay in because it's haunted. Um <laughs> And the mom's like, thanks. Yeah. Um, so the medicine seller starts hanging out, um, and he starts hearing, and they they start hearing like the sound of like children like laughing and like running around upstairs. And the medicine seller is like, is there are there any rooms above here? And uh, enigmatically, the lady who runs the inn is like, I would ask you to not go up there. <laughs> um, uh yeah it's only the medicine seller and the um the mother shino who can hear the kids yeah yeah i think so yeah uh so then we we catch up with our our pregnant lady um and she she's hanging out she sees like she sees a green baby yeah she sees like a little green baby like uh, who tells yeah. her she like she like uh knocks over a daruma and then sees the green baby and the green baby is like give me my daruma back and she's like, I didn't know it was your Daruma, sorry. Uh, and he's like, thank you. And then he leaves. <laughs> um, so then she is, the pregnant lady is attacked in the night by an assassin who is then killed by some kind of mysterious spirit. Um, and Yeah, so they're like, what the fuck? Why is this random pregnant lady being attacked by assassins and also who killed this assassin um, who killed roger rabbit yeah um so yes uh so then there's some some increasingly surreal scenes involving so the, yeah so so this one kind of follows a similar pattern as the the original bake neko yeah. arc of ayakashi so how how it happens is there's like a murder that happens to take place where the medicine seller is and then it's basically like, uh, like no one leaves the room until we figure out who did this. Yeah. Uh, and so he kind of interrogates everyone, 
and everyone is hiding some sort of secret yeah and what he he kind of teases a bit of truth from every person and eventually puts the whole picture together yeah we we, we uh, should have uh <laughs> said uh that he so he has this magic sword that um he, he can use to kill sword. the one that, that everyone's surprised because he's not a samurai yes because he's not a samurai uh, he has this magic sword that he can use to kill one okay but he can't sheath it unless he uncovers the um he can't unsheath it uh that i said unsheath i thought you said sheath well uh, he can't unsheath it until he discovers the spirits of form, truth, and reason. Katachi, Makoto, and Kotowagi. Uh, and so, uh, so like the yes. form is like the most straightforward and is usually discovered in the first episode. It's just like what the thing looks like, basically, like the form that or it's or like or like who it's who it's uh, inhabiting. Yeah, and then the truth and reason are explained more nebulously. Uh, um, the, yeah, yeah. I, like I never, I sometimes I still get them confused. Yeah, but they're basically like related to, um, like, like I, the events that led up to this yeah. spirit being created, and like why it's hanging out instead of passing on into the into the afterlife. Right. Yeah, or whatever. I, I think roughly, yeah. Truth Makoto is kind of the the quote unquote objective series of events. And reasoning sometimes, which is Kotawari, my subtitles often call it regret. Yes, yeah. Is the Wikipedia is says basically it calls it reasoning, the, but my subtitles call it kind regret. of the psychological conditions that either either catalyzed by or by the by the actual events that created the um, yeah. the need for the, the the spirit to stick around in order to complete its unfinished business yeah um so yeah so yeah so he interrogates to learn the truth and the reason and what he and there's like a you know a series of increasingly surreal scenes involving uh like couples with no faces having sex on a futon and like (laughs) a bunch of impossible geometry this show has a, a really cool fascination with impossible geometry um you know like it's one of the things that i i like about it is the way that it takes advantage of the fact that it's it has a three-dimensional pipeline like a lot of shows just use Mm. 3d to do what you can do with 2d pretty easily just faster um and easier but uh this show does stuff where it's like no here's like an infinite staircase or like a like a bunch of rooms that all lead under the same room um and like all, all sorts of stuff like that that um yeah are are really cool to look at and really take advantage of the show's like production pipeline in a way that a lot of shows like this don't yeah so like yeah these are this is all happening when uh, the medicine seller has the pregnant woman shino the uh, innkeeper is an older woman and her like assistant who's this grubby dude yeah uh and this it's the four of them basically stuck in the upstairs room with its infinite geometry yeah uh until the until uh until he can figure out kind of what the spirits are why the spirits are holding them there yeah so what he figures out basically over the course of a lot of uh surreal stuff is that (laughs) this this uh and like i I say that like i don't mean to sound dismissive it's just sort of hard to summarize which i think is 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 a credit to it because it is a lot more interesting to watch than just like 
I'm just going to tell you oh, yeah. what happened. Instead, it, it conveys a lot of that visually and, and subtextually and, you know, like, it, it, it blurs the line between, like, reality and then, like, the magic of the Mononoke and then, like, the interior, psychological interiority of the characters in a way that's really interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, so he figures out that uh, the inn that they're staying in used to be a brothel, and that the spirit that is haunting um, uh, Sino, who is the pregnant woman, uh, is the like collective spirit of all of the babies that were aborted in that brothel. Um, yeah, so the the woman who's the innkeeper now, she used to be the head of the brothel, yes. and she would um, basically coerce her girls into having abortions yeah uh, if they got pregnant on the job yeah and uh there's also like the other sort of subplot is why shino is on the run which is that she uh fell in love with uh she was like working for like a landlord or some kind of like some kind of like minor lord and then like they fell in love or she thought they were in love and he was just taking advantage of her yeah and then right she was so she was she was having an affair with the lord's son yeah and then he, the son said that it would be fine and that he would marry her. Um, and he was fucking lying. But when the parents found out, either either he was lying or he was very naive. Yeah. Uh, because they sent an assassin to kill her so that they wouldn't, she wouldn't bear a son yeah. that could make any sort of claim to Yeah, they were trying the to family. kill her there or get her to have an abortion when it became clear that she was not going to abort the baby and she ran away. Then they started sending assassins after yeah. her. Um, and so that's why when she happened to be in, very conveniently, in, in with a bunch of uh, spirits that have very strong feelings about um, reproductive rights. <laughs> I hate, I hate they, it when I'm trapped in a room with a bunch of spirits with <laughs> strong feelings about abortion. That, that they de- defended her and uh, killed the assassin yeah. to protect her and her unborn and child. And I, I, I will say that, like, um, this, like, it says a lot about what this show is like, that this is the story that it opens with. Um, yeah. like, this show is, I, like, it, it's a horror thing. I didn't find it particularly scary at all. Um, no, no, mostly it's because like... it's really colorful and, uh, there's no, like, one of the sort of quirks of its visual style is that, like, everything is sort of, like, flatly lit. Um, you know, mm-hmm. like, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's, designed to sort of look like like in like ukiyo-e kind of painting um but um that and that that has the consequence of removing one of the sort of main ways that you can make something look scary which is to make it dark and so instead they just cover it with blood (laughs) and make it really surreal so it's it's not like scary there's no like jump scares or anything like that like i i was not even particularly creeped out by it i would say like the probably the creepiest story for me was uh Nue, which we'll get to probably um, yeah. that one was that one was pretty spooky um yeah it's it's um and i don't think that it not being spooky is a problem or anything like that oh no, um, no. i think it's it's like, it's going for yeah, a different I... vibe of horror than like the basically anything else i've ever seen in my life um <laughs> which is a huge credit to it um so yeah so um so the the spirits want Shino to give birth to them uh, so that they can complete their unfinished business. And the medicine seller is like, dude, what? 
do, do you 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 can't give birth to who knows how many ghosts yeah <laughs> that's that's not that's not feasible yeah um yeah trying and, to be like that seems inadvisable to me <laughs> but she's like she's they saved her life and she is a naturally very selfless person yeah um, uh, and, and so, so she's she tries yeah, and then, to accept them all into her. And then her actual but, still still uh, gestating child uh, starts having a problem with that. Um, and and uh, all of the spirits basically realize that like um, we that this can't happen. Like we would only hurt this person who is trying to help and we us. Would, and we would, in effect. Uh, we would cause another miscarriage, yeah. uh, which is the exact thing that, not the exact, but we would prevent another birth, which is the exact thing that has, what ha- is what happened to us that made us one and okay to begin with, and so, yeah, they they uh, withdraw uh, and th- let let the medicine seller kind of yeah do his medicine seller thing yeah. Where he turns into, like a ma- does his, like, a magical girl transformation, yeah, uh, and whoops out his his sword, and pops them. Uh, like a balloon. All right. So yeah, that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I didn't have really any notes for this this. <laughs> This second episode of, of of this first story, my note was just dang, dang. Yeah, I, I, so, that dang is a is a a note that I would have written a lot. Um, there's a lot of, <laughs> of moments where you're just like, dang. Hmm. And yeah, and so like yeah, because this is such a like a visual anime, it's hard to kind of analyze in the way we usually yeah. do. It, um, because it's much more about kind of, well, it's it's the vibes in the best sense yeah. of like it, it's it's talking t- telling a story about kind of like grief and. Um, I will say that this show is, and I did not expect this going in, and we'll talk about this a little bit more as we go through. But I do think there is a thematic through line through all of these stories, which is that they're all concerned with uh, the highly fucked up way Japanese society has treated women in the past. Mm. Um, you know, pretty pretty much all of them touch on that in some aspects, some more than others. That's um, true. But yeah, like that was something like that I kept thinking about, which is that like period pieces generally tend to be sort of uh, hagiographic, hey, uh, in the sense that like um, historically, but I mean, yeah, like a, a lot of re- recent historical yeah, 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 yeah. Um, fiction has has trended away from that yeah, but a lot of a lot of periods but this stuff, is tw- almost 20 years old now um god is it shit 15 yeah it's almost it's almost 15 um what's five years uh, before you know it i said it's five years the difference between me still being here and me turning to dust um <gasps> but yeah like like this this show um, and I, I, you know, it, and it's obviously reacting to specifically Japanese conventions about this specific genre of period piece set in this specific mm. era, which is a really popular era to set historical fiction in. You know, like it's yeah. seen as a golden age in Japanese history. 
Uh, similar with like Anglo, uh, like English fiction about like Victorian or Regency oh, yeah. era. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly the same as as all of that stuff. And it, and this show by by simply by virtue of being horror, but also by being it's very subversive and and deconstructive of a cultural assumptions that one might have about like this sort of like glorious like you know socially upright period in the past of japan um Mm -hmm. you know in in the same way that that uh many other period pieces are um but you know like like that that i think is is a really important sort of underlying theme this touches on which is that like trying to point out that shit was fucked up in the past too which is it's obvious when you say it like that but it's so much of discourse both here and in japan and everywhere is founded on this assumption that there's some like mystical period in the past that if we could just like return to the spirit of that time that all of our problems would be fixed and it turns out everyone has always been a big piece of shit Um, uh so yes so the next story is umibozu um which is set on a boat and brings back uh, a lovely Kayo, Kayo um, who is a character oh, from Bakeneko, the original Bakeneko in Ayakashi Samurai Horror Tales. She was a servant who worked for the family in that uh, in that story, um, and now she's on a boat. Um, she's she's looking. She's job hunting, I guess. Uh, and the way that you job hunted in Edo era Japan was you got on a boat. <laughs> Yeah, so because yeah, because um <laughs> in the original Vake Neko, pretty much everyone in that household ended up dying yeah. before the before the medicine seller managed to manage And they to, all one hundred percent deserved it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Kaio is the only decent person yeah. in that whole goddamn house. Yeah, I mean it was it was classic horror movie final girl stuff. Uh of like just the only just the only reasonable human being and everybody else needed to be cleansed of their sins by an evil cat. Uh, um, <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, so uh, we're on this boat with. There's also uh, like an, an elderly Buddhist monk named Genke. There's a bunch of queens on this ship. Let's just say. <laughs> uh, uh, there's a guy, uh, his apprentice named Solgen, uh, and then there's a samurai, um, and then like a minstrel, and then the guy who owns the ship, the captain of the ship. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of people on this boat. And um, the medicine seller is also on this boat because he's always where trouble where trouble is. Um, you might you might say uh, what's the COVID thread here? The, the, wherever, wherever Mononoke show up is this is this oh. is, it, is it either like the twist? I kept kind of, because they kept hinting at that. I kept kind of expecting that the twist was that the medicine seller was like causing Ayakashi to appear, or like even more galaxy brain like the the like alan moore batman thing of like uh like the greater the crime fighter the greater the crime uh, <laughs> but but no neither, neither of those things happen uh yes but yeah so they get on this boat and they all go uh to uh they wind up in this mysterious sea known as known as the dragon's triangle um uh which is is real by the way 
Uh, it is. I mean, it's not real in the sense that it, there are ghosts there because ghosts aren't real. But uh, <laughs> shh, it's October. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's basically like the Asian Pacific co- Pacific Ocean equivalent of the Bermuda Triangle. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so yeah, so they drift into the Dragon's Triangle, and it's full of of Ayakashi. Um, and they, they run into, uh, they run into some ghosts. They run into like a weird bone fish snake. It's a cool thing. It's a pretty cool thing. It's a really cool sequence. Um, yeah. So for, yeah, first we just get a lot of uh, kind of spooky happenings. Yeah. Um, uh, then, and then we, we also then meet, the, uh, this like fish the, who plays the banjo. The, it's not a banjo. The slimiest musician. The slimiest musician. You've ever fucking met. Yeah. Uh, plops down on the on the deck and is like, "I'm gonna ask you all some fucking questions." Yeah, it's it's in it's an umi zatol, which is uh, a kind of yokai that uh, in the illustration of the Wikipedia article, it's just like kind of a weird old man, but brilliantly, excellently, they decided to make him just a weird fish in this show. <laughs> like he's just like a weird fish with a shamisen, um, um, and he. Uh, he asks that everyone reveal their worst fears. Yes. Um, and it's first, it's discovered, actually, before that happens, it's discovered that what led them to the, uh, oh, right, oh, to right, the oh, sea right. was that somebody had mysteriously placed a magnet near the compass to, to distort where North was believed to be. Yeah. Uh, so there's so like, who... Who fucked with the compass? And at one point, Kyle's like, the medicine devil is the only one you can trust here. He's legit. Um, and then she points out why everyone else is sus. And then someone is like, yeah, well, the medicine devil, like, he has an incentive, too. He's always wanting to kill fucking Mononoke. And she's like, oh, no, not you two. Who can I trust? Um... Um. Yeah, so he he busts out his his scales and he he explains how the scales work, which is he says these scales determine distance, and not weight. Which man, imperial measurements sure are wild. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, this is Kaya's like moment of glory because yeah. she's this adorable little bimbo, but now she's she has uh, information that no one else has because she was in the previous yeah. uh, series. And so she's met the medicine seller before and knows all his little goofy instruments. And so she explains she explains it to, to the other passengers and to us in the audience. Very smugly. And it is wonderful. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so there's there's the sequence where they all get asked their fears is really great. A guy vomits up a whole fish <laughs> in a, yeah. just some ho- a horrifying sequence. There's some fantastic body horror. Yeah, he vom- no, he didn't vomit up all of it. He vomits up like six giant goldfish uh, because his his boat has on it like a whole aquarium for some reason where he keeps his fish. Um, wait, what's his what's his fear then? Accidentally eating them? Uh, well, he said, "I don't fear anything." Was I think his answer to what he fears, and then he vomited up all of his goldfish as pun. I think it's punishment. <laughs> Yeah, so 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 the the min the minstrel is like is like don't is like tell them you don't fear you fear nothing, uh, but of course the fish man knows that when they're lying, and so 
Uh, well, first he, he says, tell him you fear what is at the end of the journey. And then somebody says that, and the fish is just like, tell me what you're actually afraid of, dude. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then eventually the minstrel, because the minstrel is like the other, like, Ayakashi, quote unquote, expert on the on the boat, but he's like an idiot. Um, and yeah. so when, when asked uh, what he fears most, he says that he fears pastries. Uh, and then, uh, hallucinates a pastry and then throws up upon seeing something so horrifying uh, that it cannot be depicted. Yeah, yeah. So like, it's like the other, like the, the actual samurai in the boat. Like, he says he fears nothing or something, but then it turns out that all he's mortally afraid of like all the people that he's killed and their their vengeance on him. Uh, Kayo is afraid of dying before she lives and gets to live a happy life yeah because she keeps finding herself in these fucking horror series uh and then yeah the the minstrel sees dear god something i don't want to know uh what he sees yeah and then the medicine seller what does he see Yes. So he says, what I fear most is the knowledge that the edge of this world exists without form, truth, or regret. <laughs> uh, which, I, which I think, yeah, I mean, like, uh, I think just in part the idea that there are some things that just can't be understood. Yeah. And so after that, the the fish, the fish friend strums his little instrument and the medicine seller sees himself kind of fading away into nothingness without any form. Uh, and then Kayo is just watching him kind of dissociating <laughs> while he's very, standing very still. Uh, yeah, I, if, yeah, it's, it's uh, the bit from that, the Tim and Ari sketch with Paul Rudd's computer where he's like, show me a nude tain. And then he goes, oh! Close his eyes for like thirty seconds. He's That's... Like, right, fine. Uh... <laughs> yeah, the medicine seller bounces back pretty quick <laughs> because he, um, I think he was prepared. He's seen uh, and so then, uh, after they all have their acid trips, uh, it's like all right, down to brass yeah, tacks. Yeah, it's revealed now. that. Um... Who moved this goddamn compass Which is Genke, uh, the, the monk. The monk, uh, of all people. And he... The noble s- monk. He spins this tale about um, how he wanted... He needed to go to the Dragon's Triangle because he, there was this boat. Uh, so he a, a, a hollow boat... Uh, Utsurubune. Uh, yes, which is basically a log hollowed out and sealed shut and set into the sea with a human sacrifice inside. Um, yeah, well, that's how that's what it is in the show. In like in Japanese mythology, there are different versions of yeah. it. Some which are like basically like boat UFOs. Boat UFOs. Uh, it's very. Oh cool. yeah, like, right, yeah, right. These weird. Uh, ring-shaped boats with like glass covering that is uh that, are, uh that were thought to be far too advanced for the time and it's 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 some good stuff uh the the kind of these y- ufo boats 
that were um, believed to exist in Japan. Um, so yes. So- but this one is just, yeah, this one is just a hollow uh, log that it, like, someone is trapped inside and sent onto the ocean as a human sacrifice. And Genki explains that it was his sister was sent on one. Yes. Uh, um. When he was, when they were both youths, uh. Uh, because the the their their town was being inundated by by storms and and uh, ships were sinking and everything and uh, they thought some there was some sin inflicting their village and he was like uh yeah that's me sorry i'm really horny for my sister i'm sinning i'm sorry yeah so so initially he claims that he like left to be a monk to uh to stay away from her and and quash these loathsome feelings uh but that clearly didn't work because the village is still being inflicted by this curse and so it also now is a big ocean full of evil shit yeah Ah. oh yeah that's when the the triangle emerges and they're like we sent her into the triangle and that fixes everything um or send our human sacrifice is that was that the reasoning i no i i i think it was they were like we're gonna send a human sacrifice out of the sea to avoid this thing and then unrelatedly they believe or a genke came to believe that the Aikashi Sea had been created by a Mononoke created by his sister in the boat. Uh, right, right. So calling it a Buddhist uh, So yeah, so so his his story is that he went back home to become a human sacrifice, but then uh, became a coward uh, and let basically let her take his place because uh according to him she was also really horny for him and was like i'm full of sin too so i'll go die uh and then because he was a coward he he didn't stop her and then she she yeeted herself into the ocean he lived the rest of his life um miserable and now here we are. Of course, that's not the real story. Uh, uh, so yeah, so then they find the boat. They dredge it up onto the ship. Uh, and I hear scratching inside, even though she's been trapped in there for 50 years. Uh, and then they open it up, and there's nothing inside. <gasps> um, so. What the heck? Uh, right? Yeah, what the heck? So, so see, see, as so you, the usual story like we've gotten we've gotten part of an explanation but uh someone is is holding something back and it's up to Columbo uh androgynous Columbo let's 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 call the medicine center androgynous Columbo uh to get to the bottom of this um oh, it's it's this last episode of um the Umibozu? of this arc so the umibozu this this arc is three episodes long um and so it's the third one that we get like the re- the real story of what happened yeah and um we all realize how pretty the medicine seller really is <laughs> uh 
in those black and white like sequences. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is that look, there's no, she's not in there, so she's not the Mononoke. So it's not her. Uh, it's not his betrayal of her and her fury that it, that spawned this spirit. So what the heck was it? Well, turns out. Well, well, well. That it was. It turns out that his little story about how they were both star-crossed lovers who could not, uh, who could not uh, rejected this forbidden love. Uh, she was no, no, no. he was the he, he was the only the only uh incesto in that whole whole situation i don't think that's true um, i don't think that's the case it really yeah the wikipedia article says uh that oyo had re- in reality quote given herself to the sea as she too could no longer live with her own lust for her brother huh i could have sworn um but uh, yeah, I, 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 well, I, I can't remember then. Um, that may be true. I, I, I thought I remembered uh, it being just him essentially kind of like manipulating her into the ship. Well, she, he couldn't uh, have but, possibly manipulated her into the ship because she's not in the ship. The uh, ship is always uh, empty. Is the is the the point? Wait, what? They, they opened the, if they, if she had been in the ship, they would have found her skeleton in the ship. She hadn't been in. She oh. wasn't in the ship. She was never in the ship. She threw herself into the sea separately. Oh, um, how did I miss that? I don't know. How did I pick up on it? I wasn't really paying attention. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, she threw herself into the sea separately, and it turns out that the the thing that was making the sea like this was that was uh genke's like guilt over feeling like he had guilted his sister into going into this log um and 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 his sort of unrequited love and unable to be requited love because for his sister because she was now dead and also his sister um and so then he is the mononoke um yeah and so then the medicine seller uh whacks him with the sword and then he's fine anyway now it's for the one that neither of us understood. Uh, the, I read the plot. I'm, I'm reading the plot, and now I'm starting to understand. It, it's a, it's a. The plot is weird. Um, so, uh, so there is. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't know if I've, re- I've read the Wikipedia version of the plot. Yeah, I think. So, but so what? This opens with the medicine seller in prison with a woman named Otto, um, who. Uh, has confessed to and is in jail for killing her husband's entire family. Slay queen. Uh, <laughs> gaslight gatekeep girl boss. Um, and <laughs> and she uh, and and the, the medicine seller is like I don't I don't really fully believe that you killed. Uh, your husband's entire family. That seems like that seems four people. Or yeah, something. that seems unlikely. Um, it's difficult that you would have been able to do that. Um, and then she he is greeted by a a man in a fox mask. This 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 dude is a bro. This dude. He's just like he spends like the entire series just like dancing around, being pissed off. Uh, I like him a lot. And he. Um, uh, fights with uh, the medicine seller, and then they 
they escape with with the man in the fox mask escapes with Ochoa into like this weird surreal like fantasy where he like proposes marriage to her and like talks about um how he's like given her freedom by helping her kill her family um yeah like uh he uh the medicine seller is like that is that he's not this isn't a human and he's like so what i helped you kill those people i'm awesome yeah there's a great I'm a badass. there's a great bit and where she's like, um, yeah you kind of are aren't you uh, uh, and, then, and then she agrees to marry him, and he's <laughs> he's the happiest little the happiest little Mononoke you've ever seen. It's adorable. Um, and and there's a great bit where uh, like the the man in the fox mask steals the medicine seller's face, which yeah. is how he gets away. And then later the medicine seller comes back, and he's like, "Well, the word the character for face can also be read as exterior. The human face is nothing more than its exterior exp- ex- appearance." If I accept his face, it's quite easy to make it my own. And he's drawn like a weird cartoon face on his own blank <laughs> face, and then it turns into his face. Yeah. Um, it's very good. And so, yeah, so the first episode, this is just a two episode uh, little arc. And the first one is basically, um, yeah, the medicine seller being uh, fighting with the fox, uh, the fox Mononoke. Uh, well, not Fox Mononoke, but the man in the fox mask, and and then the the fox proposing marriage to the woman, and uh, she's like, sure, whatever, basically. <laughs> not it's not the most enthusiastic uh, I've ever seen someone accept a proposal. <laughs> let's just say. Uh, uh, but yeah, and then we slowly uncover like the, her sort of backstory related to the um, abuse that she suffered at the hands of her husband and then before then her mother who yeah. uh, and this reminded me a lot of uh, the tale of the princess Kaguya like specifically the the Takahata mm. version um, and the Takahata version brings a lot of similar themes to this to the, the story of the tale of the princess Kaguya of like a lot of sort of feminist themes about like the oppression of women in you know medieval and Edo period Japanese society um yeah and and yeah and how and, and how in the Prince of Kaguya as well she was um her marriageability was basically her primary yeah um asset yeah uh-huh. and so and so and so in, we get flashbacks of this woman Ocho her childhood when her her mother all she ever really tells her is that she's uh, pretty and that she'll be able to marry well and pull them out of poverty, yeah. essentially. Not even, not even pull them out of poverty, just you'll be able to achieve my dream of marrying into wealth. Um, you know, and that, that's your <laughs> yeah. purpose for existing. It's not even for you, it's for me to yeah, live exactly. vicariously like, through you. Um, yeah, her, mother, her mother's a real piece of yeah. work. Uh, and it's, it's good that there's so, nobody like that uh, anymore these days. Damn, it's true. I'm looking. I, I, if we, it's a podcast, so I can't look into the camera. Like I'm on the office. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, so yeah. So what happens is that is that she's kind of because of the way her mother raised her. She has never really learned how to kind of prioritize her own 
self. Uh, I was going to say her own desires, but mo even more than that, her own kind of just worth as a person. Uh, and so when she is, marries this horrible man who just abuses her, she doesn't really know how to do anything but kind of just submit to it. Yeah, and she and, doesn't understand and, it, or she she's been able she's been unable to understand because all she's been told her entire life is that this is what she should want that she should want to marry into wealth. She doesn't she has not been allowed to think that like what if I want something different? What if I want yeah. literally anything but this? Um, yeah, and and so at one point the medicine seller is ask is kind of in her in her past when she is in the kitchen of her husband and he's yelling at her from the other room the medicine seller uh is asked her why didn't you leave uh which is a common a common question that um people especially women in kind of abusive situations are asked and um like at first, the medicine seller doesn't really seem to be very sympathetic at all. He says, like, um, he talks about how kind of he, it sounds like at one point that he describes her as kind of creating her own prison. Um, he says, like, if you believe this place binds you, it will be your prison. If you uh, do not wish to leave, it will become a fortress. Uh, that's in reference both to the household that she lived in but also the prison that she was put into after she confessed to the murders. Uh, but then we get more of her of her backstory, and we learn more about their mother's machinations in arranging the marriage, uh, and more about how kind of she's been, like her own self has been kind of trodden on all her life. And then medicine seller says, like, so you bore with it, like this this. Um, both your mother's treatment and, and the husband's fam husband and his family's treatment of you, you bore with it to the point of losing your own soul. And so it's it's not he's not really like blaming it blaming her for what happened, but he's more saying that like it's kind of, it's, it's kind of a, a feedback loop is the right word like like she was so downtrodden that she didn't know how to kind of assert herself and that led to kind of um, her being taken advantage of further. And then, like, at some point she lost the, uh, like, ability yeah. to... At no point in her life had she ever been thought of by anybody else as a means to achieve their own ends. You know, her mom only thought of her, not as a person, but as a means to vicariously achieve wealth through. Her husband only thinks of her as, like, just a woman to get him tea. Uh, yeah, you know, like he, like nobody thinks of her as a person, and so she has no framework for thinking of herself as a person. You know, she has yeah. no framework for thinking about like what she would even want. You know, because it's never been presented as an option for her to want anything else, even no matter what that thing is. Like, like yeah, yeah. You know. And so it's so it, repeatedly throughout like the second half of this arc, um, like when he's when the medicine seller is pulling at the threads, he's like. Who was it that you killed? And at the end, um, he says, the the masked man wasn't a Mononoke. A Mononoke controls the masked man. It deceived you and imprisoned you um, because he says, like, your heart wavered and in your, like, in your despair, you let in a Mononoke. And then 
he asks again, who was it that you killed? And holds up a mirror where she's holding the fox mask. And then it's her own face. And she says, all, and then it, it's the, the uh, Vader, it cuts the Vader to, in the forest moment. <laughs> yeah. And then it cuts to all the, all the um, corpses that was supp- supposedly the husband's family and they all have her face. Uh, and she says they were all, all of them were me. Uh, and in, in the it, words of I, friend of the show, Bobby, quick show of hands, who here hasn't been dead the whole time? <laughs> and so I, I think what's happening here is like earlier when he says you were with it to the point of losing your own soul, uh, in a sense, she killed herself like spiritually by. Yeah. Like, or, but the thing, like the, the way that doesn't, that doesn't sound quite right either because like she didn't kill herself. It was just kind of like her, like in a sense, her, her spirit was, was crushed and destroyed just by her circumstances. Uh, and so I'm not quite sure if, if that's what the show is trying to say that, that, um, when the, the when the medicine seller asks who was it you killed, I'm not sure if the answer is she killed herself because he at one point he does say you are a Mononoke, uh, then, but then at some yeah then at some point he says um, they're talking about the man in the fox mask whether he really exists or not. Uh, the medicine seller says that his love could never be, and so the Mononoke despaired. And it's not clear if, so we've we've so we've got a number of entities, all of, some of which may or may not be identical with the, with another. We've got the woman Ocho, the man in the fox mask, and the Mononoke. And I'm still not entirely clear uh, which of those exist. <laughs> yeah, the the. the... The placing of these two episodes in this show is very interesting or strange to me because, like, I understand why they ended with Baki Neko because they wanted it to meaningfully mirror the original Ayakashi Samurai Horror Tales. But this feels like it should have been the end of the show because this is the most, like, abstract, weird take yeah. on the concept of a Mononoke in the entire show. And it's just sort of placed in, like, two episodes in the middle of the show. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is definitely kind of a highlight of the yeah. of the series. Like, yeah, I I um I had a lot of trouble following it because I had a lot of trouble following this whole show. But yeah, it's definitely it's it's really good. It's the visuals are really impressive and abstract, and it's really like the most that this show like pulls at its own formula and its own like definition of what a mononoke is, and like tries to like push the boundaries of what it can do with its with its story which is something that it's doing with basically every uh every story here you know which makes it not feel formulaic even though they all follow a very similar pattern yeah Um, yeah yeah you know they're all constantly like straining against that pattern Um, but yeah this is the one this is the one at the beginning i was saying like i i i at first i wasn't sure if 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 it was really good or if it was just uh inscrutable and i think it might be both because <laughs> uh, yeah it like one the okay so the wikipedia which is probably just written by one person yeah. and should not be taken as uh, authoritative says um it is implied that the man in the mask was an illusion conjured by the medicine seller 
to help Ocho escape. At the end of the episode, she ignores her husband's orders and leaves her family, gaining the freedom she had long desired. I'm dubious about some of that. Uh, so, so during the, at the end, when he says that you are a Mononoke and um, and that the, the man the fox mask his love could never be, and so the Mononoke despaired, um, she comes to some realization about what's going on. She she's she's a, a few steps ahead of us, uh, and then she basically thanks the medicine seller for kind of getting to the bottom of things and says that that she'll be okay implying that like he can purge the mononoke whether that's her or or whatever's possessing her and and she's come to terms with that and then we cut to the kitchen the kitchen that uh, her husband's in her husband's house that we've re- repeatedly gone to during the flashbacks where she's sitting on the floor hearing the rest of the family yell like kind of yelling at her from off from out of frame and looking out the window trying to kind of ignore her shit life um that's what like she that, when the medicine seller at one point when he asks why didn't you leave that's when she in her flashback is just kind of staring out the window at the one kind of little bit of sky that she can see from the kitchen uh he says, why do you always stare at the sky? And she says, well, it makes me happy. Uh, and then even if I couldn't like possess it, it, it made me happy. And that, that's when he asks, well, but why did you just leave the house entirely? And so we're back in this kitchen at the very end of the episode. And we're, we're hearing the same, the same refrain from the husband and the husband's family yelling at her for more sake and abusing her, making fun of her. Uh, and then it's the medicine seller sitting there. And then you hear the husband saying, like, where is she going? She's so lazy. What's she doing? And the medicine seller says, but there's no one here. And at f- I, I, I wasn't sure how to interpret that. Like, when I, when I was watching this for the second time, that's when I started formulating that theory that, like, in, in effect, she, like, annihilated her own self um, through her inability to um, resist her circumstances. And so uh, there was, in a sense, no one there the entire time because she had kind of lost her, uh, her sense of self. But I, I, th- I think in no matter what the case is, at the end of the episode, the medicine seller has, has destroyed the Mononoke. And so Ocho is either dead if if she has if she is is the mononoke or she's back in jail where she was at the beginning of the of the of the episode uh and the mononoke that was possessing her is gone i don't see how this kind of optimistic reading of the ending where she leaves the family and gains her freedom i'm not sure how that that can be read into it i think it's i mean i don't think it's that complicated to read that into it in the sense that if there's nobody there like i i don't necessarily think that it's it's necessarily excluded by the ending um no it's well i guess not but you know like i i I think it's i don't think it's ambiguous i definitely think that there's something supposed that you're supposed to know has happened there or that you can figure out has happened there but also 
I think it's a little, but but I do think that like I think that her being free and yet is the most sort of thematically resonant ending in the yeah, sense she, that it well, culminates she, her character. Um, yeah, she, well, she she's I mean she's free in some sense. Like if if she like well yeah I mean it depends on on what sort of freedom we're talking about so there's there's an there's another um like all all the family was was alleged to be hung right yeah and so we learn in the second episode that the husband's first wife hung hung herself and so at, so at one point I was wondering is it the the first wife possessing the new wife has a Mononoke or is there some connection there because that's that would be a a kind of appropriate sort of revenge take on on the family if um if that's what happened to the first wife and so I am, yeah if that's yeah. the case i i am most tempted to read the entire prison sequence as metaphorical and the murders okay. as non-existent um and so like when they talk like who did you actually kill like she i i am i think that the murders maybe didn't actually happen and that the prison sequence like that's why i think uh the medicine seller talks about it being a prison versus it being a fortress being different ways of thinking about her situation and that she imagines herself as being in a prison because she feels imprisoned uh-huh. Yeah, and, and and so on, yeah, so in that reading, the the prison and the kitchen are yeah. are not are not two different things that he's ana- analogizing, but are the very same yeah. location. And, oh, and okay. that I think that I am also uh, flying by the seat of my pants right now. I'm I am I am inter- I am interpreting uh, I am doing the interpretive version of uh, that Wallace and Gromit bit where they're laying down the tracks while like that's what I'm doing right now uh, is is like. She imagines herself oh, as... I thought you were going to say the dance of the sophists. No, I'm not talking about the dance short. of the sophists. Uh, um, she imagines herself as being in prison, and then because she is incapable of, uh, at, that, at that time, of, of imagining herself as wanting anything other than what she's been told to want, or what other people want her to be, she mm-hmm. retroactively creates a justification for her being in prison. Um, uh... Uh, but I, I that's possible. I have yeah. to. Uh, I have to do a closer reading. Uh, yeah, that, that's 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 plausible, certainly. Um, um, so then we move on to uh, Nue, which is isn't maybe my favorite one of these. It's so weird. It's so weird. It has the, just some of the weirdest, like goriest visuals, like most abstract, yeah. wildest visuals. And also, I would watch a thirty episode super intense like shonen sports anime about the world of competitive incense smelling uh oh yeah yeah because that's that's what we get a glimpse of in these two episodes and i want it i want it bad (laughs) um so yeah so there's these three guys uh and they come to this like old uh house well so the episode the first episode of this arc opens with this insane sequence of this like weird abstract like meat man bleeding all over a room and like running and screaming at the at the camera uh it's buck wild and really good um but 
the story proper opens with uh, three three dudes showing up at this old Japanese house, this like old Japanese mansion, uh, to meet with this lady uh, Rudy, uh, who is she's like the heir to the 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 Funakuji School of Incense, and so this led me down a rabbit hole of, of Wikipedia because. Uh, much like the Devil's Triangle, every single bit of the stuff that they talk about with incense in this is completely real, which is insane. Um, so, <laughs> like, there's a whole school of, like, Japanese incense. And, like, I, this this particular aspect of, uh, um, like, Japanese incense smelling and stuff is kind of a little less well-known because it was so like in in like the Edo period it was considered like one of the three classical arts of refinement which i think along with painting and poetry nope the three classical arts of japanese refinement are kado flower arranging chado tea ceremony and koldo incense sniffing of which incense sniffing is much less well known than the other two uh oh wow but um and it, it like sort of put in the same category as like the tea ceremony but these days i think it's less well known um yeah. even in japan um and so it, it's called koldo um is is this whole thing and and they would and this was like this was basically what Edo era Japanese society was like for like aristocrats is that they would just sort of like sit around and like write really melancholy poetry and like paint like black and white paintings and sniff incense and like all try and like show off to each other about how cultured they were. Um, it was they were it was it was very they were very flexing. Um, that was how like that was because it became like it was in that era of japanese history was like really fashionable to be like a real like artsy cultured person um a real dandy yeah a real dandy it was, it was kind of dandy stuff but like a million times more intense than any dandy could ever dream of being um uh, <laughs> and uh so yeah so they would so these guys are are coming here to participate in any, some kind of incense competition uh to win this lady's this lady's heart um and her and her school and her school and her incense um and the fourth there's supposed to be a fourth guy he he's missing he's he nobody knows where he is and the medicine seller's here instead um goddamn medicine seller um so they have this incense contest and the rules of this like it it i was so surprised that it was real because it seemed so much like something made up to make fun of aristic of like old japanese aristocrats yeah. and it is yeah, the, the, beyond parody uh that's incredible uh, which is uh it's called genji kol which is um so you it's that so somebody will prepare a tray of like five cents um and you will have and then you will sniff each one in succession and then upon sniffing all of them you will have to determine which ones are the same and then you use these like little blocks uh which the medicine seller when he picks them up he looks at them like he's gonna eat them uh (laughs) (laughs) he is all of us (laughs) and you use these blocks and you stack them to like connect so like you have like four blocks that are like stacked vertically and you place other blocks horizontally on top of them to connect the ones that you think are the same and each possible combination of five that could be the same represents a chapter of the tale of genji um (laughs) which 
Uh, so good. Is, yeah, it's. I'm looking at the diagram now for the Wikipedia oh, article. Yeah. yeah it's. What a galaxy it's brain! So activity. yeah, because like that's what that's what you would do if you were like a Japanese aristocrat is you would like just memorize the chapters of the tale of Genji because like what the fuck else are you gonna do? I suppose <laughs> the internet hadn't been invented yet. You couldn't get mad at people online, so you're just gonna memorize the tale of Genji. Um, God, Genji! What the? Wait, uh, wait. Let's see, what was the author of Genji? Uh, God, I forget. She was the she was one of the original posters. Murasaki <laughs> uh, uh, Shikibu. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, she she and her her like literary rival. It's uh, her face. Yeah, for you you read like a manga about them, haven't you? I. <laughs> what is that called? Uh, I forget. We'll put it in the show okay. notes. Okay. Yeah, link it to me. <laughs> Uh, say Shonagon. Uh, oh yeah, say Shonagon. Yeah, um, and they were like two famous like medieval Japanese novelists. Um, yeah, they they were like they were ladies in waiting to um, Empress. Uh, which Empress? Uh, Empress Taishi, um, Fujiwara no Taishi. Um, yeah, my my favorite example of. Uh, old things that people in japan did to pass the time is and i'll never be able to bring this up again probably uh so i'll bring it up now even though it's not really relevant is uh taikyoku shogi which means uh it means ultimate shogi um and it is oh yeah so, so shogi if you don't know is uh it's basically chess too but they never localized it into english um it's it's the <laughs> japanese chess variant um, the most notable features being it has a very specific, it's played with these like flat tiles instead of like 3D pieces like, uh, like chess is. And each tile on the back has like an upgraded version of the piece. So like in, in chess, you get to, um, when you move a pawn to the other side of the board, you get to promote it, uh, to any other piece that isn't a pawn. Um, whereas, uh, in uh, shogi when you move a piece to the other side of the board I think when you move a piece to the other side of the board you can promote it to what's on the other side which has different rules for movement um, and the other major rule change and the thing that sort of defines shogi is it's uh, capturing rules which are kind of like bughouse chess uh, where you get to if when you capture an opponent's piece you can redeploy it on your side of the board um, and so there's a, a variant of shogi called Taikyoku shogi, which is, uh, unlike, unlike regular shogi, which is, is played on a, uh, a nine by nine board, uh, Taikyoku shogi is played on a 36 by 36 board. Um, it is the, the number of different pieces in this game. There are 257 unique pieces um, oh, yes. ranging from uh, the pawn to uh, the swooping owl, uh, cat sword, uh, evil wolf, blind dog, uh, <laughs> flying horse, uh, poisonous snake, wrestler, uh, pig general, uh, reverse chariot, mountain witch, uh, gliding swallow, uh, uh, vertical horse, <laughs> uh, left dog and right dog, uh, it's it, like it's it is it's just it's the most galaxy brained chess variant 
in the universe, and I really want to play it. Um, I've wanted to play it ever since I first learned about it, uh, which was a, f- a few months ago. Um, <laughs> there's there's a, an issue on the Wikipedia article. It says this article may be too long to read and navigate comfortably, and it's like, man, take that up with like whoever fucking invented this bullshit. It's not it's not the Wikipedia article writer's fault that it's too long to navigate comfortably. It's just like that, man. Um Yeah, so uh people were bored in the past and they invented all sorts of stuff like uh smelling scents and uh uh equating them to the tail of Genji. Um, so yeah, so we don't, good thing we don't do anything stupid like good that. Thing we now. don't. We just post. We invented the internet, and so we'll never invent anything that good again. All of our stupid vices that people are going to make fun of us for in the future are just like we. Did you know that people in the 21st century used to read things online that made them mad on purpose? Um, <laughs> you know, and like that's way less. That's way less cool and fun than smell these five incenses and then assign Honestly. assign the pattern to a chapter of the Tale of Genji. It's pre- posting is pretty cringe. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so they do this. Uh, uh, they do this competition, and then uh, Rurihime is murdered mysteriously um, during during the competition. Um, yeah. And um, uh, they open. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so at one point. Like they're taking a break from their tea party. I mean, they're smelling. Party. They also call it listening, which is is oh yeah. yeah. And everyone but the medicine seller is like creeping around the house looking for something. Yeah. Uh, and then one of them opens a door, and there is Lady Rudery. murdered. Fucking murdered. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> um. After they explain the rules of Genjiko to everybody, one of the samurai like vo- voices some kind of confusion. I have a screenshot. And then somebody else is like, "Huh, I can tell you're a country samurai." Um, <laughs> yeah. So like, uh, one of them is like this real nose nerd. Uh, one of the suitors is just this kind of like random politician question mark and one of them is this is this random samurai who doesn't actually know anything about incense yeah there's a, a courtier a samurai and a and a fishmonger uh, a fishmonger uh, and then um, so after that competition and the, and the death of, of Lady Ururi, um we discover that uh, what they're actually in search of has nothing to do it's with the school of incense, but yeah. is a uh, toldaiji, which is a uh, like pseudonym it's based a... on taking the radicals of the three kanji uh, in the actual name of the object, which I forget and I don't have a screenshot of. Um, and it's like a piece of wood that grants you power. Uh, <laughs> Uh, oh, uh, Ranatai, um, which Sounds if you take uh, Ranatai, uh, the radicals for those are Tol, East, Dai, Big, and uh, G, which I actually don't know that one. Um, um, so, uh, 
they're they're in search of it and they decide to have another competition uh administered by the medicine seller who is going to uh de- to determine who is going to inherit the school so they're going to have this competition and then they're going to pretend that uh they only found out uh that lady Rory was murdered after this all happened yeah <laughs> the medicine center is like whatever i'll proctor this this yeah this, this nonsense uh... <laughs> i got nothing better to do yeah <laughs> Um, and so during that, uh, he, they're about to sniff the first one and he's like, and he's like, oh, by the way, uh, I accidentally put highly poisonous oleander in one of these and I forget which one. (laughs) Sorry. Which. Golly, I'm so absent-minded. Um. His little theatrical. Yeah like is so yeah he's so good uh and then one of them is like you know what fuck it i'm gonna sniff him anyway and it turns into like the smelliest russian roulette you've ever seen yeah. uh and, uh and so and so he, the first one uh yeah so he has, has, takes a sniff and what is it he smells? Uh, I forget exactly what he smells. They all smell pretty horrible. Like, one of them smells like burning hair, and the other one smells like a blood-soaked shoji. Oh, yeah, they all remind... They all remind themselves... They all, all the smells remind the person who smells them of kind of, like, the crime they committed en route. Yeah, and to... also reminds them that they're all already dead. Quick show of hands. Who here hasn't been dead the whole time? Um, yeah, I was gonna get to that yeah. part. Uh, so they all get killed, but in reality, they were actually dead the whole time. Uh, and then um, the uh, and basically discovers that like the the toll daiji like kills everybody who seeks it. Um, and so the medicine seller destroys that stupid piece of wood. Um, and um, and there's this there's a great bit at the end um where like uh the medicine seller is talking to like talking to the toldaiji like manifested through like lady Rudy and is like and it's like look i understand your shtick uh but was this uh really necessary and then it like zooms out and the entire like mansion is just surrounded by like a hundred tombstones um yeah um and it's so it's it's a really good like classic like this this has like the plot of like a good like classic short story twist kind of thing of just yeah. like yeah it, it's good it's good it's just a good short spooky story with some really um, compelling imagery. Um, so I'm trying to remember. Um, so the the dude with the, with with the fake nose. Did he actually kill Lady Ruby, or did he just? I actually don't know. Or or did or did he kill like a doppelganger that the Mononoke? So during the flashbacks, we see like how each of them died, and so the the dude who never showed up, it turned out he actually got killed by the samurai. They both turned up early. Uh, he insulted the samurai for being like a country bumpkin or something, and the samurai got super pissed and killed his ass. Uh, the the clown with the fake nose. This is freak who like keep his nose limber, and uh, he wears a little traffic cone over it the entire time. 
so he got real horny and like went to Lady Ruby's rooms and started like whispering through um, the door, being like, "Let's let's collaborate. I'm uh, I'm I'm the only legit one here." Blah blah blah. Um, and then he like opens the door to her room and she's like taunting him somehow uh and then he we see him kill her and i'm not sure if he actually kills her or if he kills like a phantom created by the mononoke or if he didn't actually kill anyone at all and just uh imagined it i would probably guess that he didn't actually kill anyone at all because there i i, I think that there's actually nobody in the t- in the mansion right. how did he okay so he just he just he just Im- like imagined himself killing someone and then, and then the mononoke blew his head off yeah basically yeah because uh, it's yeah it's basically just a house that drives you crazy if you come seeking a smelly piece of wood yeah. Um, and then, the, then all the little dogs with the clown nose face. Yes. God, those little dogs running screaming through the house. Um, that that's at the very end when he's like performing the exorcism and the house is going crazy. Like we get some imagery. Yeah. And one of them is the dude with the traffic cone on his nose. There's like a thousand little dogs all with his head running through the house. It is fantastic yeah, it's good stuff um but yeah that's a that's a good one i really like that one um the imagery is good it's got like a good classic short story kind of twist uh yeah you know yeah it's it's a good good spooky haunted house story or i guess haunted wood story uh, <laughs> so yeah and the last one is bakeneko and unlike all of the rest Bakeneko. of these Bakeneko. this one takes place in the 1920s uh, and largely take place on a train, which makes me very happy. Uh, it's it's a it's a great setting. Yeah, it's a great setting. It's like uh, a classic like Murder on the Orient Express kind of like murder mystery setup. Um, and so, and so to, yeah, the, there may have been some confusion. Like the the, the three episode section of the original Ayakachi anthology was called Bakeneko. This uh, arc of the Mononoke series is also called Bakeneko. Yes, and they're. Yeah, because Baka and Neko is just an, a, a ghost cat. So, uh, a woman is implied to commit suicide by jumping off of a bridge in front of a train on a newly opened subway line um, in, I think, Tokyo. Um, yeah, so it be- yeah, so it begins with you see a, a woman falling onto a track, and then a, uh, it, she's run over by a train, and then um, a cat with a space helmet... Shows Brack up. the man, yeah, friend of the show. Friend of the Brack show, Brack the man. man shows up, uh, and and is there to bear witness to her kind of last breaths, in which she curses uh, certain unspecified people and says, "I will never forgive you." So yeah, and then we flash forward, and then there's a bunch of people riding on this train, which I think is like the first train on like a new line or like a new tunnel or something like that. And it, like yeah. they're all in this one car. Uh, well, no. At first, they're yeah. at first they're all in different in cars, it, yeah. and so so it begins with the very very this very pompous mayor, oh, uh, it, like inaugurating this track. It's like it's like the social event of 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 the season. Uh, everyone's there, and then um, you see the poor people are getting on the the later 
cars and some don't can't don't even have a ticket at all and like chio just happened to um like win a ticket i think uh and then so we've got a number of people we've got like the mayor we've got his like a detective um they're up at the first car we've got a journalist we've got um then we've got chio the waitress we've got Haru Yamaguchi, who's uh a widow in her like 30s or so and then the oldest elementary schooler in the history of the, the world. The thing is, is that he looks he looks to be about twenty years old, but he sounds like Bart Simpson. I mean, he sometimes he looks like he's twenty. Sometimes he looks like he's sixteen. Nine hundred. <laughs> sometimes. Uh, yeah, but he has only recently finished elementary school. Yeah, and he sells milk. He is a he is a he is an absolute chameleon. Yeah. Uh, Masao. Yeah. Uh, Kobayashi. But he consistently sounds like Bart Simpson. That uh, he does. So yeah. So and also the message. Uh, hey. So we all. So yeah. So, so the train uh, like starts so mysteriously all- like speeding up and gets like trapped in like an infinite impossible tunnel vortex hell. And then it just so happens that this group of people, all on different cars, happen to end up together in the front car all alone and then the front car like, uh, and, disconnects from all the other cars and then they're just yeah the show the show has done this, this this clever thing where uh at the beginning all kind of the background characters had been like represented as as mannequins yeah. uh as, as if it was just kind of like like a clever way of of reducing the amount of work uh and then once once the, our our main characters are all kind of spirited into the front of the train into the main into the first car uh all the mannequins fall over and then, <laughs> and then disappear uh and we're, we're left with uh with our our suspects it's very cute um so yeah so over the course of three episodes we unravel we unravel a mystery uh yeah why why these people why are these have these people been summoned into the car what do they have to do with this death yeah so they discover that it's a ghost cat and then they uncover that it probably has something to do with this woman who committed suicide and then they discover that gasp the suicide was faked Um, yeah so so this yeah this is the kind of we're kind of back at the uh at the kind of the standard formula like uh what do we what what do all these people have in common that connects them um, to what's going on. Um, what are they? What are they all hiding? We 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 kind of yeah. we kind of tease the truth out from each of their stories. Uh, it's it's good yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's uh, it's exactly like Among Us. <laughs> Nothing like Among sure. Us. Sure, it's like Among Us, but everybody's a murderer except except the medicine center. Uh, so the first the first person to to to, get, to go is the mayor. It's extremely funny. So like they're all speared into the into the main um, car, and then all of a sudden the back door opens, and the mayor is just gone, and his glasses are on the ground, and and like the widow um, Yamaguchi screams, 
and that's I think how the first episode ends. But, but like after that, just like no one seems to give one single shit that the mayor died. <laughs> like why would you? Uh, right, he's kind of an asshole. Uh, but yeah, once it's once it's the rest of them, they're just like, all right, why are we all here? What's going on? Who's this? <laughs> I completely, I think mean, completely, just kind of like wiped the mayor from their memory. Yeah, and so our hero, the medicine seller, kind of takes charge and um, kind of teases out um, what their what their relationship yeah. is. And we learn that it's uh, that they have some connection, however kind of tenuous, to uh, this woman, yeah. uh, Setsuko Ichikawa, who was a young, who was a newspaper reporter. So I think one of the first ones yeah. we find out is the train driver, who was the driver of the train who hit this woman. Um, yeah. The problem, I had a problem with this, which is that they keep blaming him for not stopping the train as though, one, she was already dead when she hit the ground, and two, you can't just stop a train when you see something on the tracks. That's not how trains work. <laughs> well, for, That's okay. why they tell you not to play on train tracks, because if the guy driving the train sees you, it doesn't matter if he pulls the brakes, you're going to die. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, trains didn't go as fast back then. Um, but It's not a matter of how fast they're all, going, it's a matter of how much inertia they have. That's true. But also, she she wasn't dead when she landed. Um, like, there's a bit where she's she's seeing the oncoming train, and she's like, stop, stop. Uh. But... Uh, he's, uh, yeah, I mean... It, it, like, it bugged me it, because it doesn't make any goddamn sense. Uh, and also, like, it, it, it's very clear that he is, like, incredibly sleep-deprived. Yeah, that's, and, well, like, yeah, that's the whole thing, is that, like... And yeah. so, like, it's it's a worker, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a labor issue. Yeah, Man. it's not his fault, and also the thing that you're asking him to do is impossible. Uh, uh, but, the, yeah, but, yeah, he was, he was... Uh, not paying attention. And, and he never, and he like uh, doesn't like try to bring up the fact that that's impossible. He's like, I thought it was a cat, as though that's a defense. Yeah. So so that's why he's here, because because uh, the 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 Mononoke blames him for not stopping the train. Then then, um, so that's that's kind of his initial story um yeah and then we so we we get a similar we get a similar thing at least with no it, let's see we, some I of think them we learn about Masal, i think our, who tells the story of like he boy. was just in in the neighborhood and saw it happen but he didn't he like just rode away and didn't think that didn't really think anything of it um like he didn't he didn't deal with his responsibility um yeah. and a similar thing happened with the widow haru who uh heard heard the scream of her being murdered but ignored it because she was like with like a hot date or something yeah so she she yeah so the widow her deal is that like she still lives with her mother who sucks uh and so to get out of her oppressive mother she goes off and parties and so she was uh at in at Smiles' place that morning, and she was more worried about uh, blowing her shit up, uh, and and she was more interested in getting in getting away and getting home before her mother woke up yeah. to worry about what she heard. And so there's a whole yeah there's a whole see no evil speak no evil situation where where uh, she heard something 
and didn't say anything. Um, the little boy saw something and didn't do anything about it. And Chio, the, the waitress, she had an opportunity to tell someone and didn't take it. Yeah. And so there, yeah, they, they were the kind of three, three witnesses who, uh, basically held their tongue to, for their own interest. Yeah. And then we learn about the journalist who is sort of our last, our last man standing. Uh, well, there's the detective as well. Uh, so him, yeah, I forget. I think he just didn't. Oh yeah. He just, he just, um, didn't kind of do due diligence. Uh, like he just took what he was told at face value about um, about the case, um, even even though there were some red flags, and and just let it uh, let it be because he was more interested because because it didn't it didn't see, it didn't um, seem to have any relevance to like him or to the like he, he's kind of assigned to the to the mayor yeah uh, and so like. He had more important things to worry about. Yeah. But then we, so the our journalist is our last man standing. Um, yeah. And we learn from him in the last episode. Um, we learn all about what he was doing, which is that. So yeah, so it, in, the, in the second episode, like they each give their story and then kind of like they get yeeted from the train. Yeah, they all start itching a lot uh, and then they get yeeted. Yeah, like the, the part of the part of them that it kind of bears the sin, like in the little boy's case, his eyes, and the in the widow's case, her ears, and then the Chia's case, her her mouth, like start getting like inflamed, and then they like explode and get eaten from the train, and then the journalist tells a similar story about how like, um, how he hadn't he hadn't kind of stood up for her enough and hadn't like supported her as as kind of her boss uh and then like i forget the details but the the point is that it's not quite true and so like he gets yeeted but then he comes back yeah. uh and so then that's when the medicine seller knows that there's more to this story um so yeah and then what happens is is that we learn that yeah so so we, we learn that the woman who killed herself was also a journalist and that she was working on a story about the subway and the mayor and a bribery scheme that i yeah could so not follow the details of i think the gist was that the company building the sub subway was bribing the mayor yeah. either for the contract or for some sort of preferential treatment uh, and so she had evidence of them of them meeting, and um, she had she had finally gotten enough kind of evidence to uh, make it kind of publishable. But um, Moria, the the dude journalist, he did not let her. Yeah, he is. He like pretends to be enthusiastic with her, and it's like, oh yeah, you're gonna write the whole story, and then he's. But it turns out he's colluding with the mayor. And doesn't want to reveal the bribery scheme, uh, so he kills her by throwing her off a bridge. Right. So, well, he yeah. I mean, he he doesn't. I don't think he means to kill her at first. So, like, yeah. So first, first he tries to kind of gently quash the story, but she but she's too insistent, and then like he she finally comes to him with incontrovertible evidence, and he knows that if he shuts her down, she'll take that elsewhere, uh, and so. Because he's on mayor's payroll, he has to do something about it. So he uh, basically pivots and says, 
okay, you've convinced me this is sufficient evidence, let's run the story, uh, but you, you need to write it kind of uh, like in, go to a hotel to write the story, and that's when he puts her under surveillance, and that's, and that's the, where Chia works as a waitress, and that's when she overhears, I think. Yeah. Uh, some, I think, I think she hears some of the mayor's people talking about it. Yeah. Uh, and then she brings the um, the manuscript to to him, like at the, at the bridge over the over the tracks, and then he takes he takes the story and sets it on fire. And she's like, "What the fuck are you doing?" And he's like, "I can't let you publish this, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Uh, and that's when she plays her trump card, being like, "You think I didn't make copies?" <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "Oh fuck!" Uh, and then that's when he uh, kills her, or because he panics and and, um, and even if she, I'm not sure if she's even bluffing or not, yeah. but he panics and uh, strangles her. And then during the fight, she like he's hold, they're grappling, and she f- falls off the the bridge onto the tracks. Yeah. Uh, and then that's that's when the little boy saw him. That's what the widow heard. Uh, and then he skedaddles. Uh, and so that is what actually happened. Yeah. And then there's a very a, a very clever thing happens at, at the end. And so usually, like how it ends is like he he figures out the truth. Um, he kind of brings brings the brings peace to the mononoke um and and everything is kind of uh everything is everything returns to normal in this case uh at first the journalist suddenly wakes up uh back on the train with everyone around him he's like oh holy shit uh this is right after after kind of we dived into his his memory and saw him kill the woman He's like, oh, it must have been it must have been a terrible dream. What a relief! And then he's like, I'm 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 sorry, Setsuko. Um, I really didn't have any choice. And right there is when he seals his fate. So all the other characters have pretty, I think it is pretty clearly kind of like repented of of their inaction uh, that that helped him get away. But he is not only obviously he's the he's the murderer uh he he's the one they're really responsible but he's also unrepentant even when kind of um presented with 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 his guilt and so when he thinks he's kind of gotten away with it the dream <laughs> we we go back into hell we're back on the on the train with with the bakaneko um and it turns out that it, the the mononoke isn't the woman's herself but it's it's that little that little cat that found her and was so it decided to t- kind of take up her rage and seek revenge in her stead and so once it realizes that uh he's the guilty one and is unrepentant then the medicine seller essentially just like leaves him to, lets him lets him get uh sucked into hell cat hell and d- does he does he purge the Mononoke afterwards, or does he just leave them to to 
leave the cat to play with its its mouse forever. I actually can't and, remember. But they, because because then we do see that the, all the other characters, um, they kind of they kind of come to, or and then they do like change their behavior. They go make amends, uh, however, however much they can. I mean, the woman's still dead. Yeah. Um, and then they they the, the detective kind of. I don't know if he turns in his badge or if he just kind of does something. Yeah, that... but he does at the very last, at the very end, he does, he does, uh, uh, okay. Destroy the Mononoke. Uh, okay. Yeah, he does. But he, he let, he lets it take his revenge. It's, it's justified revenge yeah. on the journalist first. Uh, while, while the other ones, um, are, are released, uh, on probation. Uh, Yeah. And then, yeah, it ends with them standing on the bridge, or at least the three, the, the little boy, Chio, and the, and the widow, um, they leave flowers on the bridge. And then, did they see the little cat? Or I don't is, know. Uh, Probably. But it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, the, it's, I like how it's structured. It's, yeah, it's a good, it's a good time. Uh, if, yeah, if, if, if it wasn't for uh, the Nopera bow, it would be a, like unambiguously the kind of the, the right way to kind of end the series. Yeah. Um, but it's hard to say which which would be a better kind of uh, bookend yeah. to the thing. Yeah, it is strange because I, I, I would say that other than closing with Bakeneko, you'd want to open with Bakeneko, but yeah. you can't exactly open with it because it's in a different time period than the rest of the show. Right, you know, right. and it would feel weird to put Bakeneko in like the middle of the show, like Naperobo is. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a, a difficult challenge, uh, but yeah, uh, show show good. Uh, show shall we discuss good. the Nine Delights? Uh, oh, we should discuss the Nine Delights. Uh, this show doesn't contain a lot of walking around. Most of these uh, are, uh, I think, all of these are bottle episodes. Um, you know, they're all pretty much about a bunch of people trapped in a terrible place and they don't really walk around too much. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I can't, I don't know. I mean, there's this, the sail, the sail, the boat episode, there's, there's some sailing around. Like, and like when we did, when we did Gundam, we did, I think, count moving around in mechs as walking around. So maybe I'll give it like a two. And all the, all, and all the, all the flying around from planet to planet. Yeah. Or, or, or maybe give it a, a maybe give it a two out of five. Space station. Uh, fellowship. Ooh, I mean, the lot like in some ways it's about like especially the last one. It's about kind of like this our our social ties to other people and how yeah we can betray them and and it's that so in. At least some of the episodes, you could argue that all of them. I think are it's about, about kind of... relationships, but I don't know if it contains fellowship. Right, exactly. You know, like it's it's like there's some in like you know the medicine seller's relationship with uh, what's her name, uh, Kaya? Kaya, yeah, um, the girl, and 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 like some of some character relationships. You know, I I would give it probably a one out of five. All right. All right. Um, uh, deliciousness. Yeah, well, yeah. Is there any food in this show? Very little. Yeah, there's uh, the medicine seller uh, looking at those blocks like he's going to eat them. That's true. Um, there is the the horrible family 
yelling for more sake. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like this is a, a, a one or possibly a zero. Yeah, it's 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 not. Transcendence off the charts. Yeah, five out of five. Absolutely. This that's that's this show's bread and butter. It doesn't need it doesn't need real bread and butter. It's got transcendence. Yeah, it's yeah. This show transcends not only like the sort of medium and production process that it's working in by being a lot better than most other anime and also most other anime made in the way that it is with the sort of digital animation techniques that it's made with, but also the vibes they're just the vibes they're off the charts they're uh, transcendent vibes there's a surprising amount of goofing in this there in really this. is yeah i would i wouldn't give it a ton but i would maybe give it maybe give it a two like walking around uh yeah uh, yeah um you know like like, like the medicine like, seller after he puts the oleanicity he put the oleander thing and like tapping his head and being like silly me is so <laughs> fucking funny yeah 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 and the and the wild dogs yeah yeah, there, yeah. There's, there's definitely some good goofs. I would also say that this show is is all about amelioration. Oh, it gets absolutely. This whole, uh, like we've had trouble defining amelioration, yeah, but like in the context of other shows, but here, if this isn't it, nothing is. Yeah, these are all stories about amelioration in in one form or another. Uh, this show contains some coitus. It does. I don't know. It, <laughs> It's right. not it's bad. Great. It's but, like it. Yeah, also, as a fact, a like as a factual statement, there are some instances of coitus. Uh, like it, they're not like the focus. Real. I mean, yeah. Well, okay. The first one, with where when the setting is the brothel, like the, sex like, is present, but it is not the focus. It is. But but the like the those, consequences during that during that surreal sequence yeah. when the seller is kind of exploring the the inn and its history, those bits with the faces of people having sex are very relevant to yeah. kind of the the picture being painted of of this Mononoke and its origins. So I say the instances of coitus are very are few but very deliberate. Uh, so I'm not sure what that means for a numbered score. <laughs> uh, I, I yeah, it's it's difficult because it's like um, it's because more can be worse when it comes to to coitus. Uh, Quote of the year. Uh, so I, I don't know. I'll, I'll give it. I'll give it a two. I guess yeah, it's it's around the same as the goofing. That's fair. Uh, enthrallment is a five. Yeah, like oh, it's yeah. it is just the vibes. The vibes are off the mm-hmm. chart. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your wild card? Good question. I hadn't thought that far ahead. I also um, hadn't, which is why I asked you, so that I could think what you were thinking. Either androg- either androgyny. Or gif ability. <laughs> I feel like I made some pretty good gifs out of this show because uh, it has some great imagery. Um, but also, uh, Medicine Seller is everyone's androgynous boyfriend. Yeah, he's hot. Uh, that, so, yeah, yeah. my, my theory was that uh, him and Kayo had Chio as their little baby girl. <laughs> uh, but since the Medicine Seller is like immortal or maybe she's like a granddaughter so like he's he's forgot like he's either forgotten or doesn't recognize her uh because he lives timelessly 
Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, what, do you have it? Do you have a wild card? I'm gonna go with. Uh, I'm gonna. My wild card is gonna be spooks, and it's gonna spooks. be like a three out of five. This yeah, show that's... it contains some disturbing imagery and concepts, but um, yeah. its its visual style is so lush um, that it uh, it diff it it definitely doesn't come across as spooky in the way right. that um some other stuff that we've watched has come across like uh i I don't know i'll think of like serial experiments lane which i think despite not being a horror anime is i think more like visually unsettling than this show yeah um but i also don't think that that's a problem necessarily with this show i think it's doing its own thing very much oh for sure so which one are you gonna go with uh both i'm a rebel no damn it okay I read, the, I read the descriptions. You gotta pick one. Right, gif, gif ability four out of five, and I'll see. I'll see if we can attach some to the show notes. All right. Um, yeah, send them to me, and I will. I'll link them. Or send me like an image or album or whatever. Uh, um. Do, 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 do. Okay. So uh, we have a reader mail. Uh, we do. We do That's have true. a reader mail, and then we will get to book recommendations. Uh, so we have a, a reader mail from Karina who writes, I've been listening to your podcast for a while, and it's usually funny and engaging. Generally speaking, the things you touch on in your episodes are on point. However, I just got to the Utena episode you recorded a while ago. There's one big thing that was largely... There's there's three question marks here. I don't know how to read that. It's uh, like the chest notation. Yeah, it's chest notation. Yeah, uh, un, yeah, unforced error uh, in your conversation. First of all, you said that the show is intentionally making a racial analogy about white supremacy, without Aki, Anthea and Akio are depicted versus the rest of the cast. Kind of blind to how racial dynamics actually work across Asia. It makes it something that Bay Papas actually knew what the fuck they were doing beyond othering those two characters to reinforce how different they are from the other characters. Spoiler, they didn't. Uh, Japan is still pretty largely head in the sand regarding this topic, and this attitude was even more prevalent in the 90s. The show's awareness of gender dynamics does not extend to skin color, unfortunately. So that's one thing. The other thing is that by referring to Dio slash Akio as black early on in the first of the two podcast episodes, you flatten out representation of browner Asians like me that exist. Not everyone is black or white, and it made any commentary that you were going to for with regards to colorism fall super flat, because you clearly had no idea what you were talking about. A very yikes moment in your podcast for sure. Sincerely, please do better. Um, so yeah, uh... I, that this has bothered me about those episodes since we recorded them. Um, mm-hmm. I have um, so the thing that is, uh, I guess, frustrated me about it is that um, none of the information in this email is new to me, and I knew it all at the time, and I still talked about this stuff in a way that was wrong and stupid. Um, which is um, frustrating because I could have done better. Um, And in the research for the second episode, I read an interview with uh, Kunihiko Ikuhara about the way that he selected or like, it was about, he was talking about how he got involved with uh, Saito, the uh, Chihiro Saito, the the mangaka who designed the characters and did the Utena manga. And him being impressed with her character designs, which included some, like, dark-skinned South Asian characters in her previous manga before Utena. And that he just thought they were cool, and that was the end of his reasoning. Um, and I didn't, bring, which... I didn't bring that up in the second episode. Um, I mean, that doesn't really surprise me, partly for the no, reasons that at all. Karina brings up, and partly also because we talked earlier about how in other interviews someone will ask, like, oh... Why do you do that, like, spiral staircase? 
I thought it was cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think so. part of, so there were two reasons why I didn't bring up that interview. One was that it wasn't funny. Um, and I, a lot of the quotes that I read, I read because I thought they were just wild. And then the other <laughs> thing was I went into that, those episodes, um, not really having anything to say about this, about the issue of race and colorism in Utena, because it's not that I don't know anything about it. It's that I don't have any personal relationship to it unlike the gender and, and feminism stuff that goes on in that show. So I have nothing to say about it other than that sucks that his thought, that Ikuhara's thought process with regards to the race of these characters ended with, I think they look cool and didn't really think about the consequences of his actions whatsoever. I think that that sucks. And that's ultimately what I would say about it now and what I should have said about it then. Uh, but yeah, so I, I uh, didn't, Rather than keeping my mouth shut or editing it out uh, when we talked about it, I or just saying the sort of obvious correct thing, uh, I we instead discussed it in like like idiots, uh, you know, which sucks because I I'm generally happy with the rest of those episodes, mm-hmm. um, and I'm I'm yeah I'm really sorry that we dropped the ball on yeah, that specific issue. Yeah, I, I, I'm having trouble remembering exactly what I said, but I can't imagine I did any better than yeah. you. I don't, yeah, so. I don't remember the specifics of the analogy about white supremacy. I think that was something that I said, mm-hmm. trying to defend the choices that were made. Um, you know, but because, yeah, like, because like, I have a... Sorry, no, go you, ahead. You, you go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, like, yeah, when... When it, yeah, you said you forwarded this email to me, and I was I was reading it, and I was trying to remember what I said, um, and having trouble, which obviously is a big red flag because, um, like, I don't know much about how race functions in Japan, and the fact, and between that and the fact that I don't have a strong re- recollection of what I may have said on the podcast, uh, means that if, if I said anything, it probably wasn't especially informed. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're, I think that's on both of us. Yeah, I think it, ultimately what we said came down to it sucking and then trying to talk about why and me. Because part of it is that I have a a personal bias against believing pe- uh, artists when they say like, oh, I don't know why I did that. Because I feel like most of the time when they say that, either they're lying or they did know when they did it and they don't remember <laughs> um, you know, like I, to fair, yeah, to, to, to his credit, Ikuhara is sometimes upfront about that. Yeah. Uh, um, when he'll and be I, like, I, oh, think, I, I forget. But I, I ultimately think that the, the bottom line with Utena is that it is a show that was produced largely based on Ikuhara's just sort of whims and instincts. And that those, like one, uh, interview that I read with him that I think I referenced, but didn't particularly read a lot from or reference a lot in episode two but that i really liked was an interview that i'll I'll link in the description uh i forget who it was with but it was about ikuhara and his relationship with queer and fetish culture um Mm -hmm. and that made me one it made me like the show a lot more because it it put into context exactly where ikuhara was coming from um and 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 like the fact that he knew what he was doing and what he was talking about to an extreme degree um, but also that it wasn't necessarily, I, I don't, I think it reveals that it wasn't necessarily, um, elaborately planned out 
Mm-hmm. Um, it was just that his on this particular issue, his intuitions happened to align on, on the issues of like gender and sexual politics. His issue, his like intuitions and and opinions about that stuff lined up with uh, reality more than his intuitions and opinions on race, which he clearly doesn't know anything about. Yeah. Um, you know, and I mean, it's obviously really stupid that in talking about Ikuhara's own careless mistake of just like not knowing or caring about something because it doesn't affect him personally that I made the literal exact same mistake, but differently. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, I think that's, that's that covered. Uh, so Alex, do you have a book to recommend? I do. Um, well, I actually didn't until a second ago, but I'm going to uh, go with uh, another pr- pretty uh, vibes-forward performance. Uh, let's say uh, this is one of the kind of the most recent books I recommended. It was just published in August. Uh, the Manning Tree Witches by A.K. Blakemore, which is a novel about... Um, the witch kind of frenzy that 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 took place um, in the in the 1640s during the English Civil War. So there was a a, a real historical quote unquote witch hunter named Matthew Hopkins, who made a name British for himself. British people are named stuff like Matthew Hopkins. British people love to be named <laughs> things like Matthew Hopkins. Yeah. Uh, he made it. He made a career, like hunting and identifying witches, uh, and so this is from the perspective of a woman living in one of the towns, Manning Tree, that he, one of the first towns that he victimized, uh, and she ended up being one of the women who um, confessed to being kind of pos- like possessed by by. Wi- by witchery and um, essentially threw threw other women under the bus in order to secure her own freedom, and so it is told from her perspective, uh, and it's very obviously the novel of someone who's primarily a poet, uh, for better and for worse. Rose Stone, uh, but <laughs> I mean, for, in the in the in large part. Uh, it's a good thing. Uh, there are some fantastic turns of phrase sometimes. Yeah. Uh, they, their cat is named Vinegar Tom. That's a that's uh, a T. S. Eliot ass cat. Name. I think that's the actual name of it, an actual of the actual historical cat. But there's a line that goes: Vinegar Tom interrupts with an unseemly mule, galvanized by all this talk of infanticide, to resume his own tyranny of the local vermin, and therefore wishing to be let out into the yard. So, TFW, you are galvanized by all this talk of infanticide to resume your own tyranny over the local vermin. Um, but yeah, like, uh, like, I think there are better novels, even about witchcraft in the in, in the seventeenth century, uh, specifically *The Daylight Gate* by Jeanette Winterson. Um, but this book is like. Yeah, the, the 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 imagery is 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 great. Um, like, the 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 language. Yeah, her her the, the poetical language 
is sometimes excessive, but but usually it it works to kind of create the the sort of fevered social situation because not only was there was there a civil war going on, there were, like there was also a, a famine, and so just kind of creating that state in which people were just desperate for something to blame for everything that was going wrong. Uh, I think they do a pretty good job of. So this is The Manning Tree Witches by A.K. Blakemore. Cool. That bit about it being obviously written by a poet reminds me of a bit from uh, The Book of Disquiet by Fernando Pessoa, which you <laughs> recommended to me, where he just like goes off for a couple pages about how poetry should only be... And Fernando Pessoa is mainly a poet. He goes off for a couple pages about how poetry should only be taught as a means to teach people how to write prose. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's like to be like to be fair. I I don't read much poetry. I don't either. by itself, but like, uh, yeah, sort of poetical prose. Uh, yeah, get can that. be can be. I can get behind that. Yeah. Uh, so, right. here's I'm to gonna, uh, I'm gonna recommend uh, pattern recognition by William Gibson. Um, so I, I have read, uh, William Gibson's sprawl novels and, uh, which are like some of the sort of foundational texts of the cyberpunk genre, uh, Neuromancer, uh, Count Zero and Mona Lisa Overdrive. Uh, and I thought they were okay. Uh, I didn't particularly love them. The vibes were pretty good, but I didn't particularly like the characters or like the plots or whatever. And they felt, um, they definitely feel dated in, in a certain sense, um, and not in the best way. Uh, and I've also long, I've, vo- I've voiced these frustrations on this very podcast, I think, long been frustrated with people insisting that Neuromancer is like the first cyberpunk thing ever when like writers like Samuel Delaney and Philip K. Dick were doing pretty similar things uh, for, and, and John Brunner as well, were doing pretty similar things for quite a while before uh, uh, Gibson wrote Neuromancer. Uh, but Pattern Recognition is the first book in his third series, uh, the Blue Ant Trilogy. Um, and it is, um, uh, it was, came out in like 2003 and it is an extremely 2003 book, but I mean it in the best way possible. Um, it's about a woman named Case Pollard who is like, she's like a design consultant for like fashion and logos. And she, her, her thing is that she has a specific phobia of bad logo design (laughs) <laughs> uh, it's such a weird it, it's like almost everything about this book is really dumb but it w- pulls it off really well like there's so she uses her like phobia in that she can meet and her like phobia is like somehow like tapped into like the culture at large and so she can look at any logo design and immediately know whether it's going to be successful um and so it's so dumb right uh incredible um and so she uh is like in london working for an advertising agency called blue ant on a project like this when she and there's this sort of side story which becomes the main story about her being a a member of an online community dedicated to watching and dissecting this strange independent film being distributed on the internet in small chunks um and it's it's a such a oh man it's such a 2003 thing to be enthusiastic <laughs> about that um like there, there's been a bunch of stuff 
Because, like, it, before this book came out, I believe there was the Beast ARG, which was the uh, ARG to promote uh, the, Steven, the, the Steven Spielberg movie AI. Um, mm, which that is like a sucked. Huge, uh, which is a huge, successful ARG. And then after, shortly after this book came out, there was the Year Zero ARG, which was to promote a Nine Inch, the Nine Inch Nails album, Year Zero, which is not a very good Nine Inch Nails album. Um, <laughs> and it's most well known for this ARG as a result. Uh, and secondly, uh, there was around the same time an ARG called I Love Bees to promote Halo 2. Um, and so, like, this was, like, a big early 2000s thing, was, like, being really enthusiastic about, like, the the potential of, like, nar- n- like narrative potential of, like, hypertext distribution, I guess. Um, like, like uh, in, like, 2000 or 2001, there was this guy he went by the name John Titor, and he posted on some internet forum, and he was like, I'm a time traveler from the year 2100, and I've come back in time. Here's the schematics for my time machine. World War III is going to happen in five years. I've come here on some personal business, and I also have some like stuff to do related to that. Uh, <gasps> just thought you should know. Do. Bye. And like, it happened at a time when like uh, somebody could say that on the internet, and people would like care. Like, like now you would say that on the internet. It wouldn't even just be that people would call you a liar. Like literally, nobody would give a shit um, yeah. if you like made a tweet being like, "I'm a time traveler. Here's my time machine." Like nobody would fucking care, you know. Or they would, they would either not care or they would assume that it was an ad for something. Like, like last year there was that that Utah monolith. Like some artist put like a weird like steel monolith in like a national park in utah in 2016 and then it was found in 2020 and then other enterprising pranksters with uh pickup trucks sheet metal and arc welders uh decided to make their own monoliths and put them up places and i don't think it ever amounted to anything other than like a wacky prank but uh Everybody that I saw on Twitter was like, this is going to be an ad for a new Marvel movie. Like, everybody was, like, instantly fed up with this shit. Like, even though it wasn't an ad for anything, it was just some dude doing something weird. Um, Like, everybody was just immediately like, this is an ad for some fucking garbage, and I want no part of it. Um, And that's something that that I think pattern recognition... Pattern recognition, one, it taps into an, an era when there was some enthusiasm around this sort of thing being used by, like, regular folks to tell weird stories online in ways that you couldn't tell a story before. Like, these sort of, like, weird metatextual, hypertextual stories. Um, And then, secondly, it, by having a subplot slash main plot that's largely about advertising, connects to what it would become in a way that's weirdly prescient. It simultaneously feels both prescient and very like wide-eyed of its time you know like it's both um because so so the sort of inciting incident it takes quite this book is is a slow burn um and it takes a minute to sort of get going but um like the sort of crux of the plot is that after a little while on this job uh case gets hired by her boss at blue ant for a separate project which is to track down whoever is making the footage that everybody's watching um and he wants to do this because he sees it as 
an astonishing new achievement in marketing uh <laughs> you know and and he and it's the the places it goes from there are very interesting and strange uh and and really cool and the vibes are impeccable yeah so that's that's so like it's it's this weird mixture of like wide-eyed enthusiasm for like the early 2000s internet and like web 2.0 and then also like post 9-11 paranoia and like paranoia of like an aging boomer at like the encroachment of advertising and marketing onto what was once countercultural and also uh just like weird hype beast fashion vibes uh <laughs> it's yeah it's good it's a good book uh so that, yeah that's uh, pattern recognition by william gibson uh, so next month, we are watching Tokyo Godfathers, uh, directed by Satoshi Kon uh, and produced by Madhouse. Uh, this is the only Kon film I have not seen. Hell uh, yeah. So, yeah, all, all I need to do is watch this, and then at some point in the future, watch Paranoia Aiden, and I will have completed the set uh, oh, of Kon well, stuff. I won't have. <laughs> yeah, we have to I watch Perfect got, I still some got point. some work to do. Uh, but yeah, uh, but yeah. So I'm really, I'm really enthusiastic about that because I, I'm really curious about this movie. Uh, at being a person who loves Perfect Blue Millennium Actress but doesn't particularly like Paprika, and this is a movie that was made between Millennium Actress and Paprika. Mm. Um, so it's either going to be great or it's going to be trash, or it's going to be like half great and half trash, a, a great trash hybrid. <laughs> split the difference. Uh, anyway, Alex, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me online at twitter.com slash done, done, done. I'm on Mastodon, uh, Catalina at selfie.army at selfie with a Y. I stream on uh, trash.cloud. How about you, Cass? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at profit underscore goddess. You can find me on Mastodon at profit underscore goddess at skeleton.cool. Uh, you can find me uh on i also stream at trash.cloud you'll find the video games that i've made at profitgoddess.itch.io no underscore uh you find the podcast at animators for jerks on twitter you find the podcast at animators for jerks at skeleton.cool on mastodon you can email the podcast you can also you can write in whatever you want there and like we like we read this uh it's been over a year since we did that antenna episode and we we read a response to it so yeah don't don't feel like you have to write in with uh with something about what we just watched if you have anything to say about any of the shows that we've ever watched we will read it we are we, we still are responsible for what we said we're we're uh, responsible for uh, our actions uh yeah you I can email us animatedprojectsgmail.com uh i forget if i said that i forget if i said the address <laughs> please email us uh, we I'm get so, so few emails we will we will not we won't see you all next month you will hear us all next month <laughs> uh, but I think that's it for yeah. this episode yeah uh, and remember there is nothing less important than anime good night good night